Welcome to Managed Carecast, a podcast from the American Journal of Managed Care. Hi, this is Mandy Bishop. I'm your host of the American Journal of Managed Care, Managed Carecast. I'm joined today by Christopher Snyder, who is a type 1 diabetic who was diagnosed in 2002. Professionally, he is the patient community advocate of Simpler. He is the creator of the anonymous sharing platform, My Disease Secret. He is the host of the Just Talking podcast, and he is a social media strategist for smart patients. Christopher is a very busy man. You can find more information about him at ChristopherASnyder.com. Thanks so much for joining me today. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you. I I guess you should probably add that it's S-N-I-D-E-R. I I do not make pretzels, nor do I make taffy. Uh, That is my my joke about that. (laughs) I've noticed that a lot of people don't get the taffy reference unless you've been to like Rehoboth Beach or something like that. I have not been there and I did not get the taffy reference. However, yeah, let me make sure that we spell this out for everyone. So it is C-H-R-I-S-T-O-P-H-E-R-A-S-N-I-D-E-R.com. And Chris, you're a busy, busy man. I, uh, I also have two cats, so, you know, <laughs> if you were to pile it in, but you know, I mean, as far as other obligations are concerned, yeah, no, it's, you know, it, there's, there's always, there's always an opportunity to share your voice or to help share somebody else's voice. It's just a matter of learning how to say no or learning what to say yes to, or trying to figure out exactly what it means to to commit to a project and really kind of give it your all. But I found a couple of things that really speak to, to me and what I like to do. And I've, I kind of really haven't stopped, which is, you know, it, it is a gift and a curse at some point, but for the most part, it's been a gift. Absolutely. Let's talk a little bit about that. I want to understand your journey to patient advocacy and how you see the push and pull between advocate and activist roles. So I, my, my journey starts personally with my own diabetes diagnosis in 2002. Uh, this was during my freshman year at Virginia Tech, go Hokies. Um, <laughs> They've, they're recently, they're going to the Belk Bowl, which I, if you're living in the South, then you know what Belk is, but it's, <laughs> I don't, whatever. It's for getting off topic already. Um, but so I was diagnosed in 2002. I exhibited all the classic symptoms looking back on it, the, the weight loss, frequent urination, exhaustion, um, all of those fun things. At the time, I thought it was just the stress of trying to uh, survive the, the initial onslaught of engineering um, classes that I was uh, enrolled in. And my parents, who had dropped me off in August and came back a few months later for a parents' weekend, looked at me and said, you look, you know, you look terrible. You're doing all right? And I said, yeah, no, I'm fine. And then I went home. Um, this is, I think, two weeks after the Beltway Sniper incident. I live in Northern Virginia originally. Um, so my, my high school's homecoming was delayed because of the Beltway Sniper incident. And that's just oh, sort, wow. of, yeah, so this is sort of how I frame the timing of all this stuff. But when I went home for our eventual homecoming, my parents were really convinced that I was looking horrible. Um, just like physically, like I could tighten my belt all the way on my pants and they would still be loose. It was, it was a pretty bad scene. So I went to the doctor. He said, you really do look terrible. You should pee in this cup. Uh, a couple of hours later, he said, you should go to the hospital. And the hospital said, you have diabetes. Sit here for you know two and a half days. And I said, well, what about my multivariable calculus test I'm about to miss? And they said, we'll write you a note. Uh, <laughs> so I spent two and a half days in the hospital learning roughly how to exchange um, carbs for, for insulin I met with an endocrinologist and was on my way a few days later with a bunch of syringes and insulin vials and had to do cloudy insulin before clear when I was mixing stuff for breakfast and and dinner. And 
it was it was a pretty abrupt crash course in trying to figure out how to sort of stay alive. Um, I say that now because I understand the severity of a diabetes diagnosis and I understand the potential um, for when things can go wrong because I am prescribed a medication that can kill me if it's mismanaged and you just sort of have to live with that. Um, I, I guess you can sort of take that phrase one way or the other, but um, at the time it was just another thing to add to my routine. And I didn't really think too much of it beyond, okay, this is how much insulin I need for my peanut butter and jelly sandwich. This is how much insulin I need to cover my spaghetti. I also had a very restricting um, diet by choice because I was stubborn um, at the time I've expanded slightly since then I eat things like broccoli now. Um, but at the time it was a really confusing thing for me because I, I didn't eat a lot of stuff. So the question was, how do I manage how do I manage this insulin? This is this brand new thing with the limited foods that I eat and also try and lead a somewhat normal life in college. And it's not like I was a big social butterfly. I didn't do a lot of frat parties and things before my diagnosis, but I could use my diabetes as an easy out whenever people were offering me um, beer and stuff. And it's like, no, that's okay. I'm not, I, I'm not drinking tonight. And if people would push back and say, well, I have diabetes and people would immediately back off from that. They wouldn't necessarily understand why drinking and diabetes creates challenges, but they would understand that 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 sort of medical term was the immediate red flag and people would sort of, and, and the peer pressure would sort of stop there. Um, so that was 2002. For the most part, I coasted on my diabetes management through, through, through most of my college life, I coasted through diabetes, except around the end, I started to check my blood sugar a little less, um, started to exercise a little less, things just sort of to kind of taper off. And then um, around 2008, um, I, one of my first jobs out of college involved a lot of travel, a lot of um, living out of my suitcase, living in hotel rooms, eating out a lot as a result. Um, and if I was actually going to look at my A1Cs from back then, um, which is the, the sort of 90 day estimate to sort of gauge how well you're doing one way or the other, as far as your diabetes management is concerned, those numbers I imagine were not too great because I was not taking really good care of myself. Right. Um, and so coupling that with um, just a general sort of personal frustration with life, um, I, I found myself being very, very angry. And um, I still have the email um, saved um, in my inbox when I registered my WordPress account. And this was um, New Year's Eve of 2008. And, and January 1st, 2009 is when I created my diabetes blog and started writing about my diabetes experience. Um, sort of along this path, I had joined Twitter, not really knowing what it was, but I knew that one of the first people that I followed was Carrie Sparling. She's a sixintilme.com. People listening to this probably know who Carrie Sparling is one way or another. She's one of the, she's one of the pillars of the diabetes community as far as I'm concerned. Um, and I, I found her blog and somehow it dawned on me that um, it, by reading her blog, that I was not the only person living with diabetes up until that point. It hadn't really occurred to me that there were other people out there like me that sort of knew what I was going through. So in this weird, like three month time span, I had found her blog, joined Twitter, started to reach out, not reach out, but read other diabetes blogs and kind of understand that there was a bigger community out there. And then I decided to sort of dip my toe into the waters and create my own blog and share my own story. And if I dare to go back to those early um, months of, of my blog posts, um, the one thing I remember is that I was very angry um, sort of with life, with my diabetes, just it, my blog was a vent. It, it was a way for me to, to really share my, my frustrations with everything. And after, after that initial period of sort of 
this is why you know life is not fair. It was, I guess you could consider it a slightly more professional live journal at the time. Right. Um, but after that initial frustration, um, I started to like connect with other people that were sharing their diabetes stories. I was commenting on their blogs. I was engaging in conversations on Twitter. I was actually engaging with the community and finding my people. Um, and, and life got a little bit, a little bit better, um, you know, month after month. And then you know, through Twitter, this is a really long story, but through Twitter and through my diabetes participation online, I eventually met my now wife. Um, she also has type one diabetes. She was working at the American Diabetes Association at the time that we met. She was um, in the communications department and she was responsible for their first round of blogger outreach. And I was part of that initial email salvo talking about the launch of the Stop Diabetes campaign. And when I had, whenever she followed me on Twitter, she like her profile said diabetes and it said Arlington. I was like, oh, hey, she's cute and she's local. I'll follow her. What could possibly go wrong? Nice. Yeah. So then eventually we, we, we were, there was a long, a long history of us exchanging direct messages. And then at some point she mentioned that she had a boyfriend and that didn't really stop me. Um, and <laughs> we, we met. Um, uh, on November 21st of 2009 and I haven't left her alone since. And we, we met at a cupcake shop with some other people, some of whom also had diabetes and yeah. So, so she was, so she was technically in a relationship at the time. I'm a home wrecker, but also we lived together and we're married and life is great. And I, I win. She wins. So, yeah. so social media, it sounds like social media changed your outlook on how to manage your disease. It connected you with others in the community so that you didn't feel alone and it was your very own pseudo match.com dating service is yes. what you're telling me. Yes. It, Excellent. It, yeah. Which is like a great contrast to how social media is used today in the world and, and depending on, on your, on your kind of political and, and kind of social beliefs. Like it's like Twitter is trying to do their best to change things and to improve, but like as they've grown as a massive platform for communication and connection, it's it been exposed as an opportunity for people to be really, really mean to each other. But I, I'd like to, think fondly about the time whenever Twitter was this kind of quaint new thing and you could develop meaningful relationships and have, you know, personal yet public conversations out there. And I don't know, Twitter is a really weird thing, but I still remember, I still think positively about Twitter. As far as like the net positive, it's it's definitely there, but there's a lot to really question about how social media is used. And that's just beyond like talking politics and stuff. It's just, it's, it's a really messy place to try to find, to really try and find a community of people that are kind of regularly respectfully engaging each other. Um, But, but, you know, but there there is a diabetes community out there that is regularly doing that. Um, There are patient communities all over the place. Twitter is still a primary platform for those types of connections. So it's, it's a weird balance where I see Twitter being used as this sort of medium and, and sort of vehicle for hate and prejudice and all this vile filth out there. But then also there are these meaningful connections and relationships and just so much progress that I can see on the other side. And like, I, it's, it's difficult to watch these two things happen simultaneously. I don't know. It is. And, and on the positive front for how Twitter specifically and social media in general can be used in a, you know, in, in a positive way to reinforce connections and, the peer-to-peer engagement as well as kind of the healthcare community engagement that happens that's being captured and curated and analyzed by that simpler platform. I want to understand and have you talk to us a little bit more about what that patient community means on simpler, what you're doing with that work and how specifically the Twitter data that simpler captures can be used to inform and continuously engage disease communities and then the healthcare industry in general. So my perspective with Simpler is that there's a lot of data that the patient community 
could potentially use to improve itself. Um, my, my initial work with them has been to try to figure out how to bring access to this mountain of data or mountains, this, this entire mountain range, this just entire ecosystem of data that a lot of people don't necessarily know exists. And it's all kind of publicly available. It's just that they're really good about capturing all this stuff. Um, try to try to bring access to the patient community. Uh, to what end? I'm not quite sure. That's the sort of million dollar question at this point. Like I know that there's an opportunity there and I have a few ideas myself on how it could be used, but I'm not, I don't feel that I'm in a position to really, to really act upon those ideas. I mean, I, I've, I've built up my voice within the diabetes community that I can ask for help and people will pay attention occasionally when I have things to say. And that's really great. But if it, as, as far as using this, this data to meaningfully engage people to meaningfully create additional opportunity, I don't know if I'm necessarily that person, but I know a lot of people who are. So my theory is that if, if these community leaders specifically who are, who are managing uh, patient community tweet chats, for example, uh, DSMA is one, Hixam is another, BCSM, there are dozens of these out there. Um, if these people wanted to look at this data and potentially try and find um, either areas of opportunity for, for, for kind of identifying new community leaders or identifying the topics that resonate most with their community to find up to find, um, to find potential to expand upon those conversations in the future. Um, th- th- there's the simpler signals tool allows for that sort of analysis. And the thing that I've learned um, I've actually learned a lot working, working with, um, working with Tom and out and it's simpler. One of the things I've learned initially is that right now the patient community appears to be content with just having the conversation. Um, the, the people that I've spoken with are, are intrigued by the data, but they're not necessarily looking to, uh, investigate this data to see what more could be done. Um, and, and that's, and that's not necessarily a miscalculation on my part. It sort of is, but you have to, you have to test it out and figure out if people are, are curious about this stuff. Like I feel strongly about the work that I've done to try and improve access and, and give people an opportunity to, to really explore, explore where this tool can present. But if nobody is interested in having those conversations yet, that's not necessarily my fault. I mean, I, I think the best I can do is say, all right, if whenever you're ready to approach this data, we are, we are ready for you. And, and that's where we are right now. Like I actually don't have like any white papers yet to sort of detail how different communities have explored the signals data to, to improve X or to, to investigate Y or to expand, you know, Z or anything like that. It's, it, it's a weird sort of kind of wait state that I'm in to try and see who's willing to, to dig deeper, to try and improve some portion of the community. Because right now, like I said, it appears that everybody's content with simply having the conversation and just knowing the conversation is continuing to exist. Exists. So for our listeners who are not familiar with simpler, this is S Y M P L U R dot com and simpler signals is a platform that curates hashtag based Twitter conversations. And so it pulls data from the Twitter feed once a new hashtag has been introduced into the Simpler Signals platform. It pulls data about that conversation, which is based around a hashtag, so that it tracks all of the tweets relating to that hashtag, uh, which includes information about the people who are participating in that particular hashtag. So network analysis is possible. Sentiment analysis is possible understanding what's being discussed and understanding how the individuals who are discussing it connect with each other and then connect more broadly with the Twitter social media community is part of the signals 
cross-platform analysis capabilities. So this is where, when, when Chris is talking about the various levels of analysis that can be done and the, the types of community leadership that could be identified and the opportunities for this type of data analysis, this is the, the platform, this is the work that, that he's talking about. So if you are interested in participating as an investigator with Simpler, we would encourage you to get in touch with the team at simpler.com. So, the, um, and so I think the sort of go-to example that I like to share just in general about what's possible with this platform, because a lot of these social media reporting tools, you know, I don't want to throw too much shade, but a lot of them are only focused on like the big number, the impressions. And that's as people are following, like, so Mandy, how many people do you follow on Twitter? 8,300 and something. Right. So you follow 8,300 some people. If every one of those people are sending out a tweet, you're not necessarily going to see all 8,000 of those one tweets over the course of a given day, but there's a potential for you to see it. And a lot of these social media reporting tools will, will they will report that potential as something related to an impression. It's, I mean, there's great potential for a lot of these conversations to reach, you know, millions and millions of people. And that's great, but not necessarily, it doesn't necessarily guarantee that everybody's going to see that stuff. So there are other opportunities to investigate what this data is telling us through simpler signals. And the best example of that is the healthcare stakeholder analysis where people are assigned different um, healthcare stakeholder categories like doctor or provider, just like general provider or patient um, or organization. And it, it, as a result, you can create a bunch of you know, fun little pie charts and you can see, for, for example, how many doctors are participating in, in the weekly diabetes tweet chat that takes place. And as a patient community leader, I would be very curious to see not just how many patients are participating, but what other, what other, what other portions of the healthcare conversation are actually paying attention to and engaging with with, with the conversation, with my community, with all these people. And it's, it's difficult to see necessarily who's lurking, but if somebody actually is going to send out a tweet and participate, that will register within the simpler database and that will come up. And it, it, as far as an area of opportunity for, for possible future you know, engagement, it'd be nice to know which medical professionals I could rely on to help boost my signal, for example. Absolutely. And it also, thinking about the tools in terms of being able to identify disease communities that have a very strong peer-to-peer management concept, right? So learning about diabetes and learning about opportunities for you to better manage your diabetes or to have that peer-to-peer counseling type relationship where you're identifying uh, new potential care pathways for yourself, right? New holistic ways to to care for your disease, new ways to introduce self-management routines, That's it's an excellent resource that these disease communities, diabetes specifically in your case, but then as you mentioned, there are a number of disease communities that exist. Do you think that we're coming to a time when diagnosing uh, and, then, and then part of your diagnosis, part of the, the treatment protocol would be to introduce patients to the disease communities that are available to them online and to help them understand what resources and peer-to-peer resources exist? Um, I, I'm... Yes and no. I've had friends or, or family friends come to me say like, hey, somebody who's very close to me, excuse me, was recently diagnosed with diabetes, you know, help basically. And, and my response to them is, you know, one, you can do this. It's, it's going to be tough, but you can, you can, this is, it's very manageable and it's hundred percent true Two, I, stay away from, from Google and the internet just in general until you feel that you are, you have a good routine for yourself. And then when you're ready, here are some hashtags. Here are some websites that I would recommend that you go to, because if I think 
I actually haven't checked this out recently, but I know that the initial sort of kind of meme was that if you Google diabetes, you're going to read about, you know, amputations and like the, the absolute worst that can happen for uncontrolled diabetes. I can't right. use the essay about this portion right now. Um, but as far as as far as valuable diabetes resources online, I absolutely recommend very specific patient blogs that are regularly active and that are that are engaging with their audience and that stay current. When it comes to hashtags, um, DSMA again is the primary that I would recommend. There is a weekly tweet chat every Wednesday that takes place. The challenge with with, with the hashtags though is that the the general hashtag of diabetes is often populated with spam and people that are just looking to sort of kind of. I suppose leverage the overall numbers that that are there and not necessarily engage in a meaningful conversation. So I would, like I said, recommend DSMA over diabetes as far as hashtags are concerned. But right. but but that that peer to peer connection, whenever you're ready for it, is absolutely valuable. I first learned about continuous glucose monitors by reading about it on patient blogs. I for I mean, whenever I was considering um, switching my, my diabetes management from, from insulin pens to an insulin pump, I went to diabetes blogs and I went to Twitter to find people who were using the technology that I was considering so that I could ask them privately what they thought about it, you know, both, both pro and con. So I could better understand what I was potentially getting into because an insulin pump is a very huge investment, both, both personally and financially. Um, and so I mean, there's absolutely a tremendous benefit there, but I would not recommend social media for a newly diagnosed person of any community right away. I think that the best, my best advice is to say, here is where to go whenever you're ready to engage with more people and talk about this stuff. But there has to be a personal acceptance that comes before you're willing to even read other people's stories, let alone share your own story. It's, I mean, there are a number of different ways to engage with these communities online, but there has to be a personal sort of Zen that's reached first before you even type in twitter.com. Right. Well, and, and on Twitter, you are not necessarily anonymous, right? You are, you can, you can choose to be anonymous with your avatar. You can, you can choose a level of anonymity, but you've also specifically created a community for sharing anonymously so that people with chronic illness and disease have a safe space to discuss kind of the challenges and, and barriers that they have to, to their self-care as well as just their fears and you know, issues in managing their illness. Can you tell me a little bit more about my disease secret community? Yeah. So this, this all started with an initial attempt to sort of engage the diabetes community specifically on Tumblr. Um, I, I I often take pictures of my, my continuous glucose monitor, which, which represents uh, sort of a, it's, uh, there's a lot of explanation here, but so my Dexcom is, is, is the product. It, it, it measures my blood sugar through subcutaneous fluid by an injectable sensor every five minutes. It puts this on a little uh, digital display on a thing that looks sort of like an iPod Nano. Um, and it's recording this data sort of eternally as long as the sensor is in place and I, is, is, is in place. Um, and I can view a, a trend line for up to 24 hours to see the sort of dotted line going up and down as my blood sugar spikes and falls and everything like that. So it's, it's great to alert me whenever my blood sugar is high or low. It is also a great reminder of how terrible I am currently at managing my diabetes in this you know, kind of current holiday season. Um, but especially whenever I am low, it will alert me or my wife and we will take immediate action. Um, so I take a lot of pictures of this graph to just sort of share it. I thought that there would be an opportunity to, um, to sort of host all these pictures on Tumblr and encourage other people. Cause I know I'm not the only person doing this to share their picture. Um, and that idea sort of fell apart and nobody really engaged with it. Despite the, the fact that Tumblr, the platform itself has, has a great um, sort of system and, and, and tool set in place that allows people that allow, allow people to submit 
um, photos or text or questions. Um, there's, they have a lot of great tools as far as community engagement are concerned that you don't have to build yourself. You just basically flip a checkbox and say, yes, I want to allow this or no, I don't want to allow that. So that was my first attempt at engaging the diabetes community on Tumblr. It failed pretty much. Uh, the next idea was my diabetes secret. This came after reading a blog post again from Carrie Sparling. She had shared something from postsecret, postsecret.com that I think it was like 99% alluding to diabetes. Um, and she, within the blog post, elaborated on the idea of, of sharing. And for that one blog post, she allowed anonymous comments and that blog post garnered like 200 comments. And she's a very popular person in the diabetes community. She gets a lot of comments normally, but this post in particular received a, a huge spike in comments. Most of them were anonymous and they were all confession based. And one day I randomly thought that this was a really good idea and we should do this again. I took it upon myself to create my diabetes secret and Tumblr allows for anonymous submissions. And I sort of launched the thing and told a few people about it and it caught on like wildfire. Um, I think in part because Tumblr tends to skew younger and female that there is a really strong audience there for people that are looking to share. Um, and you don't necessarily have to have a Tumblr account to engage with these sites, but um, part of the growth does rely on the Tumblr community um, liking and resharing these posts through their own network. And the diabetes one took off and I thought that this was a great idea. Why aren't there these sites for other communities? And then about a day later, after having that initial, why aren't they thoughts? Um, I decided to expand on that and create this sort of, an extension of my diabetes secret for other communities. So as I'm going to scroll through this list right now, we've got diabetes, cancer, chronic pain, arthritis, mental health, IBD, cystic fibrosis, multiple sclerosis, lupus, um, and sleep disorder was recently launched. So all of these sites um, in, in one URL fashion or another exist, and they're engaging those specific patient communities as an opportunity to anonymously share your fears, your thoughts, your, your frustrations, your whatever. Um, and all of this is sort of housed under the general um, kind of umbrella of my disease secret. Um, there is a general URL, mydiseasesecret.org, and that will link out to all the individual sites in case you want to explore what's happening there. But uh, it's it's been it's been a really strange journey with all this stuff. Yeah. When I first when I first created it, it was really awesome to get a submission coming in, and then. Uh, there'd be the occasional post that would come in again at the beginning. This is only diabetes. So that's, you have to kind of, there's one caveat there, but, um, the occasional submission would come in saying, I thought about taking too much insulin last night. Um, and in that, that weighed continues to weigh heavily on me because this is an anonymous confession site. There's no opportunity for direct intervention. Um, but in order to ensure that people will continue to trust the site, I have to maintain the anonymity of everybody who's submitting their posts. Right. So uh, as a result, I instituted some self-care rules. I don't check submissions after 8 p.m. Even though I receive an email notification that something has come in, I won't actually read it until the morning uh, if I see that something has come in over the night. Um, and for every post that I publish, because I read every single one of these things before they get queued up and get published live on the site, I include a link um, at the bottom of each submission that links back to the submission form, uh, but also links to a list of mental um, uh, of resources that often that do include mental health resources. Um, and this is across the board for every single site. Um, each one of these sites has community specific resources. So for diabetes, there's some for for diabulimia, for eating disorder stuff, for for general diabetes community um, sites in case you want to engage with people on a less anonymous um, frame or, or basis. 
but they also, all of these sites include the same five links to mental health resources. Um, there's suicide hotline, uh, both, in, uh, both domestic for the United States and international. Um, and there are a couple of others there uh, that I include everywhere to make sure that if somebody uh, does need help, does need to talk to a professional, the best I can do is put this information in front of them and hope that they are in the right state and right frame of mind to engage with them. Uh, it is not enough. And I know that and it is my biggest regret with all these sites, but um, this is sort of the, it, it's, it, it's the only way I feel right now that I can really continue to maintain these sites. Uh, I, I believe that sharing this stuff is, is better um, is, is doing a, a net positive for these communities and for people seeing that they're not alone in their struggles. I know I've often benefited from knowing that I'm not alone and struggling with my own diabetes management. Um, but I have also received a, 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 I don't want to say decent, but I have received some, cri- some criticism that has been quite harsh at times saying that I'm doing a, a, a good deal of damage to the diabetes community by allowing some of this stuff to exist because it's not just the fears and the frustrations that come through. It's the people it's sometimes the parents of kids with type one diabetes saying, I didn't do this to my kid. You did this to yourself. You should go exercise. You know, type one is not type two. The name should be different. There's a lot of mudslinging that occasionally comes in and I, for better or worse, will publish everything that comes in. As long as you're not like promoting your, your book or whatever, I publish everything that comes in, including the really nasty stuff that comes in as far as infighting. And it's, it hurts every time I publish one of those things because I know that the reaction is going to be swift and, and, you know, and, and verbally violent, but this is just, it, it, it is an opportunity to share what's happening in the diabetes community. And, and my response is often, um, if this is what's happening inside the diabetes community, how the hell can we raise awareness outside of the diabetes community? If we don't fully understand what it is, if we have to stand on the shoulders of other people, not, we have to stand on top of other people, not on the shoulders, but stand on top of other people in the diabetes community to make our own point. Uh, we're not doing ourselves any justice by, by saying I didn't cause my diabetes or I didn't cause my kids diabetes. You are perpetuating the myth that type two is, is solely the fault of the person who is diagnosed with diabetes. There is a lifestyle component to it, but that's not the only story. And by saying I didn't cause my kids diabetes, you're doing more harm than good. And these are the types of things that happen and my diabetes secret. And as a result, my disease secret uh, does shine a light on a lot of these myths and misperceptions about what it's like to live with these diseases and what these diseases actually mean. And it's, it's been a really illuminating journey uh, as I've, as I've talked with other people that, 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 re, that reside and that live within these patient communities, because I don't have cystic fibrosis, but I know people with, with CF or I know caregivers of kids with CF. So I rely on them for their expertise and to learn more about what these diseases actually are beyond just the more clinical definition is, it's been really enlightening for me. I know that recent analysis has shown that, health, the health of the individual voter was the strongest determinant in this last election for their candidate, right, for the the candidate that was selected, and that those who are chronically ill um, and and those who are in need of improved healthcare access were more likely to vote Republican in this instance. They wanted to be able to, they they truly believed in the change. They, they um, They felt that there would be a benefit to uh, voting for what they perceive to be you know, improved access to health care and, and a change to the existing Affordable Care Act process for um, getting insurance and other things. And I'm wondering what I am seeing post 
election in the patient communities in which I participate is an increasing amount of angst and, and awareness that the changes that were sought are not necessarily going to be changes that are helpful to patient communities and helpful to those in rural areas or those in need of improved healthcare access. Are you seeing an increase in the level of angst and anxiety represented in both your anonymous patient communities as well as in the data that's collected in Simpler? Um, Simpler, I believe so. Anonymously, not not entirely. There have been a couple of people that have submitted something to the effect of, like, I don't know how to face some of my relatives um, during the holidays because they they don't understand that you know the, the Affordable Care Act is is is, is my lifeline right now. But as far as simpler is concerned, I honestly haven't looked too close yet, in part probably because of my own anxiety. Um, but I would imagine that, especially for something like diabetes, and I have to rely on this because this is my own network. But um, like this stuff is real expensive, and it's a recurring cost. Like my, I just had to re up on my insulin, and that's six vials, and that's you know essentially six months of life that I'm it, that I have to pay for. And and granted, this is through my wife's insurance, and we're we're okay on that front. We're going to be all right. But I know that for other people, like you know, the cost of insulin is absurd, and it is very much like, okay, how do I adjust the rest of my finances to afford food and things, but also I have to afford insulin. Like that is the baseline thing that I require. And for people that are talking about continuous glucose monitors and insulin pumps, these are great devices and they should be, you know, sort of mandated options for care. But for, for a lot of people, it's a non-starter because their insurance isn't going to cover it or they're not going to cover it enough for, for these people to be able to afford it. And as we start talking about what changes to broader healthcare policy is going to take place, just, you know, premiums and like what's is going to be covered. And, you know, am I still going to be covered if, if, if I'm, you know, 25, like right now, okay, what happens, you know, in a year for these other people that are coming up, what happens for newly diagnosed kids in college and stuff like that. These conversations get really complex once you start to consider what it means to actually care for yourself, even at a minimum level. Yes, and bringing it back home just in our last couple minutes to something that you said early on about how you spent two days in the hospital learning how to exchange carbs for insulin, right? You, you had uh, an acute event that caused you to, to spend two days in the hospital and to have access to people, you know, doctors and nurses who could answer your questions about your disease and who could help you learn to manage, learn what was necessary in order for you to manage your care. There are going to be many for whom there, and there are many right now for whom that's not a reality and learning how to manage diabetes or being able to understand what trade-offs they might have to make if they don't have access to insulin, like being able to have access to that level of education is something that's already out of reach. And I think will continue to be out of reach for, for many Americans. And for those people, the types of communities that you've built up and the types of information that is available, I, I know we talked about not having access to Google and not going directly to the disease communities after an initial diagnosis. But for patients like that who don't have access or money to compensate for, you know, the, the educational process that, that you've gone through and that others have gone through, do you feel like social media would present an opportunity to self-educate and to learn how to at least have opportunity to understand what protocols are available to you and how to develop a self-management routine? Absolutely. I, I think that the people that have lived through this are, are better informed than, than most of the websites that are going to offer sort of standard 
information. That's not to say that, that those websites, you know, like, like, you know, I guess we can kind of say my own realm, like, like a diabetes.org, they have valuable initial information, but they can't afford to go into very specific, very personal experiences. But through social media, you can find somebody who is potentially going through the exact same thing that you are. That doesn't necessarily mean that your diabetes treatment and your diabetes management is going to be the same, but their own lived in experiences can help inform the best path forward or the best option that you can potentially pursue for you. It's, it's a tricky thing for diabetes because what works for me doesn't work for my wife, doesn't work for, for my best friend, for my, for my other Twitter followers. But generally speaking, we, we understand that it's going to take insulin and exercise to help manage our diabetes. And that's up to you to figure out how to manage those different pillars of your diabetes management. But if, if you are looking to run a marathon, there are people who, who have run marathons with diabetes and they can offer their advice and their experiences on how they're able to effectively train and manage their blood sugar and, and, and what they ate. And you can sort of use that information to, in, to, to adjust your own experiences and your own approach to, to best fit your needs. And, and, and that, you know, and let's say everybody's going to be running a marathon, but if you are struggling with trying to, uh, you know, trying to find affordable insulin or, or to try and figure out how to make, make your, make your diabetes supplies last a little bit, a little bit longer, there are people out there that have found ways to extend the life of their Dexcom sensors. And that's, you know, the FDA says seven days. I wear my sensor for like 20 um, because these things are expensive and, and there are means to do that. And, and people are willing to offer their advice with the caveat, obviously, that your diabetes may and will often vary. Um, so, yeah, it's, it, social media is a great thing to help inform um, and potentially advise the, 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 the future decisions that you will make. Not necessarily, but that doesn't necessarily mean that you have to abide by what, you know, at I am underscore Spartacus is going to tell you. If you ask for my advice, I'm definitely going to offer it. But, uh, you know, I'm definitely not a medical professional too, which is the, the one thing you have to keep in mind with all this advice. It's great that we have these communities that offer this insight, that offer these personal experiences to help inform your decisions. But, you know, it, above all, you should be trying to take that information and then if possible, consult a, a proper medical professional if you can to, to really make the proper decision for you, you and your care. Absolutely. And I think that the, the most important message to take away is that there are a number of resources that are available both for healthcare providers to understand that these opportunities exist to help their patients become better educated and to help their patients better engage, uh, as well as for, for patients and for caregivers. So these communities can help, uh, but it is very important to beware the fake news syndrome that we are all suffering right now. So fake news being spamming the hashtag diabetes, right? So vendors wanting to sell things, people putting forth, um, you know, per perpetrating myths about type one versus type two and, and people suffering from one size fits all syndrome and not understanding that the care is individual and that it is important to, to learn what works for you uh, as a human being as you move forward into this brave new world of increased accountability and increased uh, importance on self-managed care. So all of the hashtags, all of the URLs, and all of the Twitter accounts that were discussed in this podcast will be included in a list when the, when the podcast is published. And I just want to thank you, Chris. This has been a great conversation. I really appreciate all of the resources that you brought to bear today. And I really appreciate your commitment to the diabetes community specifically, but more importantly, to healthcare in general and to being such a, a really passionate patient advocate. It's, it's been a, a wonderful conversation. Thanks. Thank you for having me.
Excellent. Well, thank you so much. Again, this has been Mandy Bishop for the Managed Carecast. Look forward to seeing you next time.